0: You're listening to Student Afton-podden, a collaboration between Student Afton and Radio AF.
1: Welcome to this evening's Student Afton. My name is Vendla Wenström and I'm the president of the Student Afton Committee, a student body organization that was founded already in 1905 with the purpose of being an independent platform that honors the freedom of speech. Student Afton has, over the years, invited a big diversity of guests, and some examples of these guests are Ingrid Betancourt, Frank Zappa, Diana Ross, Every Swedish Prime Minister since 1934, and many, many more. Tonight we have the honor to present Elizabeth Niamayaro. Elizabeth is a senior advisor to the Under Secretary General and Executive Director at UN Women, but she's also the global head of the UN Women campaign He for She. Our moderator for tonight is Katarina Rolfstotter-Johnson. Katarina is among a lot of things, a writer, a television program host, and a moderator who has lived and worked in New York City, Singapore, Stockholm, and is now based in Malmö. Tonight, we'll first listen to a 50-minute speech by Elizabeth, followed by a moderated conversation by Katarina. After that, you in the audience will get the opportunity to ask questions to tonight's guest during a 30 minutes of Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with an absolute honor I present to you tonight's guest, Elizabeth Neomayaro.
2: Everything was perfect. At four o'clock every morning, you would find my grandmother and I in a cornfield in our small village. My grandmother would be hunched away a few meters plowing. She never wanted me out of sight in case something bad happened. I was six years old. At midday, she would allow me a small break, and so I would stop, and somehow the butterflies knew. They would come over to play, And we played a game in which I would spin in one spot with my arms wide open, calling for more of them to come. I had names for all of them. And I would keep spinning and spinning and spinning until they were all there circling around me with their big yellow and orange wings. And then the spinning would make me dizzy. And I would collapse on the ground in such a fit of laughter. I would close my eyes, momentarily, waiting for the magic moment to happen. And slowly, I would open one eye, and then the next. And so there they were, my beautiful butterflies, lying all over my face, my arms, and my legs. And just for those few moments, everything was perfect. But then the drought came, and our crops dried, and our rivers dried, and in my village, my grandmother and I were left struggling for survival. We were hungry. So one sunny afternoon, the girl in the blue uniform found me underneath a tree too weak to move. It had been two days since my last meal. As she handed me a bowl of warm porridge, I asked, why are you here? She replied, as Africans, we must uplift each other what does that even mean? I thought to myself. What I didn't realize at the time is that one day, this very same moment would shape the way I see the world and my place in it. The second drought came two years later, more tragic than the first. And with that, the devastation of being separated from my grandmother to ensure my survival I'm sent to live in the city with an aunt. And in this incredibly devastating moment, something incredible was about to happen. I would find myself in a city school for the very first time. And with that, an opportunity to learn and to dream big. Among the so many things I would learn in school, I came to learn one of my biggest lessons of what it means to be unequal. You see, in the village, we're all equal. But the way the kids at school looks at me tells me a different story. I am not their equal. So at the age of 10, I must now deal with three kinds of inequality all at the same time. Racial inequality because of the color of my skin. Gender inequality because I was born a girl. Social inequality because of my humble upbringing. Yet, despite all this, I take comfort in knowing that there is a place I'll always belong, home, in my small village, where we are all equal. So when I go back home during a school holiday, everything is the same, except for one thing. I now have much more than the rest of my family. And in their eyes, I am no longer their equal. I feel guilty. But then I remember the girl in the blue uniform and suddenly her words make sense. We must uplift each other. And it's in this very moment that I decided I want to be just like her because now I too need to uplift my family and I too now need to uplift my village. More than a decade later, I landed at Heathrow Airport with 250 pounds to my name, with no friends or family in the United Kingdom, but I still had my dream, the dream to become the girl in the blue uniform. Four years later, I joined the United Nations and became the girl in the blue uniform. So when three years ago, I found myself with the greatest honor to contribute towards uplifting more than half of the world's population, women and girls. It becomes clear to me that in order to uplift one half of society, one must uplift the whole of society. Because a whole of society issue, such as gender equality, requires a whole of society response. It's a new paradigm, but it's a better paradigm. And this became our vision to create he for she a solidarity movement for gender equality. On September 20, 2014, UN Women, with the support of Global Goodwill Ambassador Emma Watson, launched HeForShe. Within three days, more than 100,000 men joined HeForShe. Within five days, at least one man in every single country in the world joined the HeForShe movement Generating more than 1.2 billion conversations on social media, on college campuses, students created more than 250 student clubs all advocating for he for she and gender equality. Three months later, we were in Davos, where we launched our top-down initiative called He for She Impact 10 by 10 by 10 where we're engaging 10 heads of states, 10 global CEOs, and 10 university presidents to identify game-changing commitments on how we can achieve gender equality around issues of equal pay, having more women in senior leadership, having more women at the board level, ensuring that there is paid parental leave for all genders within their corporations and within those countries. And we are proud that the Prime Minister of Sweden is one of our Here for She impact champions with a bold commitment to ensuring equal pay for all citizens during this current term of his leadership. I could go on about the kind of impact that we've seen on HeForShe from men creating husband schools, literally going around their villages, handpicking the men that are abusive to their wives and teaching them to become better husbands and fathers. From youth in India organizing bicycle rallies in rural communities and mobilizing more than 120,000 men to join the HeForShe movement. But I wanna leave room for conversation and I wanna close by going back to where I began. I'm sure that you all have your own stories that have brought you here today. He, for she exists because, like most of you know, creating real and lasting social change requires all of us, all genders working together. This is good news for a number of reasons. Because when we're all equal, creating change doesn't belong to some of us. It belongs to all of us. I wanna go back to a very famous and one of my favorite quotes from my grandmother. She always used to say that each generation faces its own choices. How can we grow? How can we be better tomorrow than we are today? Will we be on the right side of history? When Martin Luther King stood up for the civil rights movement, enslaving a human being became illegal, and the whole world grew. When women around the world marched for their right to vote, they took a fundamental step towards equality, and the whole world grew. When a bullet fell to silence Malala and a voice for girl education, the whole world grew. When people like you and I, take a stand for what is right, the whole world grows. So I would like to invite all of you today to dare to invent the future. Let's dare to invent the future so that one day we can look back and be able to say, there was a moment and I was part of it. There was a movement and I created it. There was a dream, and I saw it come true. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. That was such an inspiring speech. Thank you. Another round of applause, please. Lovely to have you with like us always. tonight. I'd like to go back to where you started in your story, um, the meeting with the girl in the blue dress that obviously made a huge impact on your life. And you stuck with that dream. What was the fuel for you to really stay with your dream to be able to, uh, to work with this topic, this issue?
2: I think on so many levels, I. I don't think I had a choice. And not because, you know, from just a personal passion for wanting things to change. What I didn't tell in the story is I am the eldest of four. My siblings are still living in Africa. I'm the only one who made it out of Africa. And in this really weird moment of being given an opportunity to go to school at the age of 10, I also maintained contact with my siblings. And as I mentioned to you, going back home, and it was just such a weird sensation to experience inequality in both directions, right? At school, I was unequal, and all of a sudden, I was in my family, and they didn't think they were my equal. And that sort of made me feel really guilty. And I think that there was just a moment of realizing that inequality is very complex and that I had to play my part in uplifting my own family to begin with.
0: How did your family respond to you sticking to your dreams so so uh, strongly?
2: I don't know if they fully understand what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, my, I think my parents don't really understand what I do, which is a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I come from, even though... I'm the only one who's left Africa, was living here. But I come from a community, and it's it's very African. You know, we, we take care of each other. My story is very atypical. Usually you hear a story about a young girl out of Africa, and it's usually a Westerner who's come to save, quote-unquote, that child. And in my case, it was an African woman, a Zimbabwean woman, who happened to work for UNICEF and who found me literally on the brink of dying and saved my life. And so it's just um, so, so It's expected that you've got to give back. And they know that I give back. I don't think they fully comprehend what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what I do. Uh, but I think they are very proud of what I've been able to achieve because also through me, I've
0: been able to educate my siblings an opportunity
2: that perhaps they would have never had.
0: I read in many interviews that you say that when you grew up, uh, women did all the work in your village yes. and the uh, men did all made all the decisions how did this sort of fuel your your urge to make change
2: yeah so he for she is a very simple idea on so many levels right there's nothing innovative about it but it's a very obvious thing that needed to happen I after I left Zimbabwe, joining the UN, I've been in the UN now for 15 years and I've worked for different entities from the World Health Organization to UNAIDS to the World Bank and recently now with UN Women which is the global entity for gender equality within the UN and I remember when I first joined UN Women four years ago, meeting with the leadership team, understanding the mandate of UN Women that their vision was to create equality for women and girls around the world in every single country. And my first question was, well, where are the men? Mm. And the immediate reaction was, well, we don't need the men because men are the problem. Mm. And then for me, there was a disconnect because growing, as you said, growing up in an African village, women do all the work, men make all the decisions. And so it was almost a no brainer that if you have half of the world's population that is men, and they have most of the power in decision-making, we've got to find a way to include them mm-hmm. in a much more you know, positive way because at the end of the day, our equality is somewhat intertwined. Um, so yeah, so it so was just really informed by that, and we even know now with Malala and the importance of having fathers advocate for girl education, right? As the UN, we spend years going into communities, speaking to the women about sending their girls to school. Women already agreed with this idea. We didn't speak to the men who have the money and who make the decisions. And now it's only now that we realize that we need more Malala fathers. So the role of men is critical if we are going to succeed.
0: When you first evoked this idea of involving the men, how much resistance did you meet? There was quite a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but revolutions are never built on
2: consensus, right? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, no, the, 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 there was quite a lot. But I also understand what, where that was what, you know where it was coming from. You know, this has been the issue of gender equality has often been seen as a woman issue led by women for women. And so this idea that we would start to include men caused a lot of, you know, tension. You know, did it mean now that we're going to make men own this space as well? Uh, And again, one of the biggest things I've been focused on is to make sure that we really show the results, right? We demonstrate, here's why it matters to engage men. Here's the changes that happen when we engage men. And we have some really good examples of that
0: happening in in most parts of the world as part of the HeForShe movement. You've used social media very skillfully, I'd say. uh, And after the launch, tell us a little bit more what happened because it was really, I mean, we did see some of the images here, but it was a a storm on Twitter, it was all over Facebook, um, how did that make you and your organization feel, just the response the day after? So I'm gonna say
2: this with all the humility I can master, because I had no idea. Mm. I absolutely, this was not like a genius thing, I knew this thing was gonna take up, no, there was literally, it was a matter of having a bit of, we're discussing in the back uh, this morning, this evening, and I was talking about how Sometimes what it takes to change the world is a bit of madness. You just have to believe that you can something can happen. But we had no idea. So I had crafted this vision for what he for she was going to be. I got Emma Watson to become a goodwill ambassador of UN Women. We worked on that speech, you know, for a couple of months, you know, leading up to to the big day. But neither Emma Watson or myself or my boss at UN Women had any idea because again the pushback during this sort of ideation process was that men didn't really care about gender equality because if they did they would have done something about it no man was going to sign up to this movement and we took a leap of faith Mm -hmm. and men did not disappoint me because literally in three days a hundred thousand men had signed up but the craziest data point was that if you can imagine any country in this world, in five days, at least one man somehow, we don't know how, had heard about he for she, gone online and signed onto the movement. And that's just, you know, even for for, for 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 the UN, you know, as someone who spent 15 years there, we have never had this kind of big campaign, you know, become literally a movement overnight. So so that was and then of course the 1.2 billion conversations, mostly from guys saying. You know, I'm glad this is happening. I've wanted to engage, but first I didn't know that it was my issue to engage with. Some men saying, I, I, I thought of engaging, but then every time when I've tried to do this, I get blamed for the sins of other men. You know, it's all the male bashing and then I, I don't want to say the wrong thing and I just don't engage. So yeah, it was, it was humbling. It was very humbling and surprising. Did the massive support change your strategy in any way? Yes, it did. It did because again, a, a quick background to this is, after sort of going back and forth internally whether we should do this, we shouldn't do this. I finally got the approval that we'd we'll do he for she is a one-year awareness campaign, right? And then it would go away. we would just raise awareness. Men would know that this is their issue, and it would go away. But of course, after <laughs> after three days, beyond the sort of grassroots stuff that was happening on the ground, you know, with these men signing up. We started to see also men in powers of position sign up to he for she, but through a PR campaign. So you had CEOs with their he for she hashtag on Twitter, I'm he for she. You had people like the Secretary General of NATO, the Secretary General of the EU Council, the entire EU commissioners in Brussels organise a he for she event and sort of self-declared he for she. And then people started saying, well, what are these men doing? This is PR now for the the men. So, again, I had to sort of quickly think on my feet, and within three months, I'd come up with this idea that said, he for she is always going to be a people's movement, but at the same time, if we want real change to happen, we've got to find a way to engage the men uh, who are in a position of power. They've got to do more than say I'm he for she. Mm -hmm. And so the impact 10 by 10 by 10 is our sort of really groundbreaking initiative that has identified 2020 as the timeline to achieve equality, despite the sort of 100-year timeline that all the, the WEF indicators are pointing to, mm. uh, and we are Speeding things up quite a lot. Accelerator, that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do, yeah.
0: yes. Could you please tell us a bit, little bit more about the 10 by 10 by 10 campaign? I realize that we, um, I didn't know this before I did my research, but our prime minister is actually one of the uh, uh, spokespersons he's committed
2: Yes. So it's not only one of the champions. he was one of the inaugural champions. Mm-hmm. So what happened is, after having realized that we needed to look at how can these men in power position do more than just say I'm here for she, what are the key policy areas that we are trying to solve for? So issues of equal pay, you know, is the unfortunate unifier. It doesn't matter if you're an A-list Hollywood celebrity, or if you're a woman on Wall Street, or if you're a woman in a tea plantation in Kenya, you're not all getting paid equally, right? So we needed to look at what are some of these banning issues that we can literally, with the support of men, just kind of accelerate progress. And the Prime Minister was one of the first um, men to sign up Mm -hmm. as a he-for-she champion. And so in Davos 2015, we launched uh, with him and Emma Watson and the Secretary General On the official panel launching this, and his big commitment is to ensure uh, equal pay for Mm -hmm. all
0: citizens. And you also have the second one is advanced women leaders across all Swedish sectors. I'm reading here address gender inequalities in health. Correct. So he has three, he has made three strong commitments.
2: Yes. So all of them, they have to make three game changing commitments. They also have to release especially on the private sector, all their data around gender because transparency is number one, you can't fix something unless you know how big the issue is. And we've had companies like McKinsey, a 90 year old company that have never released their data prior to he for she, right? And then they also have to report annually. So each year we have a report, it's accountability, it's in front of international media during the general Assembly. so we just launched second year report uh, on September 20th this year.
0: Going back to Sweden, um, how important is it that we have a government that declares itself as a feminist government? It's
2: critical, right? Again, the rationale for including heads of states in the impact 10 by 10 by 10 was, it's just, it's, I, can't under- I can't even comprehend how, despite all these years working on gender equality, there's not one country in the world that has achieved gender equality right and so we are really looking as UN women as the global entity we need a miracle and the fact that sweden has declared itself a feminist government we also hope that that points to progress happening at a much faster pace and hopefully we can have the first country in the world to, uh, to have achieved equality mm-hmm.
0: but even here in sweden some uh, some people have problems with the word feminist what what do you have to say about the usage and the meaning of the world it's very polarizing, mm-hmm. and I say this
2: as a feminist myself, and I can understand why it's polarizing. But we also chose to address this in Emma Watson's speech. And for those who saw it, we actually tackled this issue, and it has been polarized because, again, the issue of gender equality has often been seen as a binary thing or a men versus women. You know, for obvious reasons, I think there's been a lot of hurt along the process. Mm-hmm. Um, women feeling that men are not supportive, women feeling that men are suppressing them. Um, and then also, but then we are now also living in a new world, right? And a lot of the rejection around the word feminist is from young people, right, Who no longer self-identify with this terminology. And so the way that I always speak about this is, let's not focus on the word, let's focus on the meaning, right? You know, what does it mean to be a feminist? It means you believe in equality for everyone. Um, and, and just kind of focus on the meaning versus trying to polarize on words, right? Because it's a loaded, it's a loaded
0: movement. It's <laughs> there, there's a lot of history with, with, with this work. You call the, the he for she is solidarity movement. Can you please elaborate on this? I'll elaborate by telling a quick story about my boss.
2: So I'm senior advisor to the head of UN Women, the woman called Pumzilim Mlamunguka. She is a former freedom fighter, she was really at the forefront of ending the apartheid movement alongside Nelson Mandela, and that's how she got into politics, because he literally said after they'd gone through the apartheid era, I want you in my cabinet. And she ended up working as a minister in his cabinet, and she then rose to become the first female deputy president of South Africa in 20- 2005. And so when I joined UN Women as a senior advisor, we started to talk about what was needed in this space, right? You know, we have made a lot of progress as women, advocating for women as part of the, the gender equality movement, but progress is very slow. And through her experience and my experience, we found this commonality which was that in order for us as society to move and make significant and sustainable change, it's got to be all of us working together. Mm-hmm. And her personal experience in the apartheid movement, she talks about how anti apartheid you know, apartheid was not ended by the blacks of South Africa. It was the blacks and the whites working together. The civil rights movement, it was a similar thing. The gay rights movement and the, you know, the rights to, to marriage in the U.S., it was really about, you know, LGBTQ community aligning themselves with the other communities. So it's a similar approach with e for she. We know that the issue is very polarizing. We know that there's so much, you know, there's just people get heated around this issue. So we are trying to find a way that we can also create this solidarity that says, how can we bring men, women, all genders working together for a greater good? Mm-hmm. Thank
0: you. Right now, I'm not sure how many of you have actually seen the uh, SVT uh, program called The Best Man, Besta it's, Mannen. It's aired, uh, just, you know, it's on air, it started two weeks ago. And in an interview that I saw uh, watching the show last night, uh, there was one of the uh, men being interviewed that he all of a sudden realized in a conversation with the young feminist that this is actually a freedom movement. It is. Because all of a sudden he realized that if we work with gender equality, things will be better for him and his fellow male friends too. Yes. Less stereotyping, et cetera, et cetera. So all of a sudden he just said, this is a freedom movement. Yes, it liberates all of us, Mm -hmm. right? If you look at, again, we often
2: talk about gender inequality from a woman perspective, and we forget to also address it from a male perspective and also additionally other genders. But even from a just a male perspective, there is a lot of inequalities, or at least the, the impact of gender inequality that impacts men, the sort of stereotypes the macho culture, the toxic masculinity that says a man must always be number one, uh, the pressure to become a breadwinner—it is not a surprise that you know in the UK the number one cause for death among young men is suicide. Right? Mm, it's the same. Because, in Sweden. Well, yeah, because men are taught mm. not to open up. Mm. They are taught, you know, because it makes them weaker. They are taught not to seek any counselling. So in the end, you know, we are we are all losing, right? If we are losing our sons, young men because of
0: this pressure, then we've got to find a way to liberate all mm-hmm. of us. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure quite a few of the people here are curious about Emma Watson and her engagement and her involvement being a, a celebrity. How do you work with Emma? What's she like? Ah, oh, she's, <laughs>
2: she's, she's fantastic. In fact, I, I know this sounds more like a cliche if I say this, but working with Emma, it's not a celebrity engagement, right? Mm. From the moment that I met Emma, so we were looking for a goodwill ambassador for UN Women. And because of my time living in London, I knew her team, I'd never met her previously to this, and then I organized a meeting with her, and it was literally a meeting of minds, because she was looking for something that would allow her to step outside of, of you know, the Harry Potter image, And we were looking for an authentic voice on these issues. And as I'd mentioned to you before, that we're trying to solve a number of things at the same time. We needed a young person who could re-energize the youth movement. A lot of girls were sort of stepping away from this issue of feminism. In fact, there was was a huge anti-feminist campaign in in the U.K., in the U.S., Mm -hmm. with young girls saying, you know, this is an outdated notion, uh, why do we say we need gender equality, my mother's going to work, but of course, there's so many layers because she doesn't get paid equally. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we're looking for sort of a, an authentic voice and sitting down with Emma, it was very clear that, you know, we had found our, our young woman. And we laid out the strategy, um, her and I, and we work very closely together. We WhatsApp, um, she's part of the, uh, the meetings as well with the team, and she drops into the office when she's in New York, she lives in London. So she's very, very hands-on, and I think that's the difference you see, right? That there is, there's so many celebrities at the UN, but Emma Watson has really stood out as, you know, something very prominent and, and serious. Mm-hmm because she genuinely cares about the issues
0: and she puts in the work. One can tell that she really does care. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of celebrities, um, the hashtag MeToo, started by a celebrity, uh, is now completely all over uh, social media in the world and also in Sweden. Um, What is your take on the the context and how it connects with he for she? I
2: think back to the point I was trying to make, right, about each generation defining its own m- moments and milestone, there's so much, again, back to this issue of men versus women. A lot of positive things have come out of this campaign, but at the same time, if we're not careful, a lot of negative things will come out of this campaign and could actually you know, take us back it's a good thing that we're starting to see women be able to speak up, you know, because we, we, need, we need this transparency, we need their voices. It is, though, an important thing to point out that men have to be part of this conversation. And that's where he for she comes in. It should not be a woman saying "Don't sexually harass me," and men should simply know not to sexually harass a woman. So I think it's another key moment where I'm hoping that we can all find a way to work together versus against each other. Uh, because again, for obvious reasons, you know, b- people have been hurt. Emotions are very raw, especially in the U- in the U.S. around around this topic, and. We are now starting to again look at men as the evil and, and, and we've got to find a way to bring in the voices. So as e for she we've been also working with the men of e for she so that they can, they can step up. They can be allies in this critical moment. Um, they can also believe the women that are coming forward uh, with their stories, but equally there's been men as well that have been vi- violated and we also need to be able to
0: hear their voices and be concerned about their issues too. Here in Sweden, we've ha- we have quite a few men that actually have sk- stepped up and, and made commitments in social media, yeah. and uh, sort of listed this is what I will from now do, yeah. and then other men uh, sort of you know tagging along and and and, and addressing it the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: No, that's really important, right? It's not. It should not be a woman issue to solve. Mm-hmm. You know, we we need the men as well to be part of this, and for them to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the ten by ten by ten. Um, and further, what what's going to happen next, and what is the sort of the the real impact that you're reaching for, uh, and within the first next six months, for instance?
2: Yeah. So the biggest push for us is we are now midpoint the timeline. It's a pilot until 2020. We just launched our midterm report in September 20th, as I mentioned to you, just to kind of give you some high level impact indicators, right? So. We have seen really remarkable change happen with this engagement of men in a very strategic way. We have a company like Price Waterhouse Coopers. They're one of the biggest auditing companies. They have about 220,000 uh, employees around the world. Their key, for sure commitment is to ensure parity in senior leadership. When we started the journey with them last year, they were at 18% in terms of women, you know, two steps away from the CEO. Mm. And within a year, that number has moved to 47%. We have companies company like TapAway that have reached parity already on their board. Uh, we have Twitter. We have implemented a 20 weeks gender-neutral paid parental leave policy, which is global. But again, one of my favorite stories is from Malawi. The president made a commitment to end child marriage, which is a very personal mm. issue to me growing up in a small village. And very lofty goal and most people said well that would never happen and within you know six months of signing on to he for she he passed on the bill to outlaw child marriage in Malawi and as of September last year in less than a year more than 3,500 child marriages have been annulled in Malawi and more than 1,400 girls are now back in school. And actually, Emma Watson was just there last year to see some of those girls. So, change is happening. So, the biggest push for us right now is to make sure that collectively across the Impact 10 by 10 by 10, we have 90 commitments. Right. So, there's 30 champions with three commitments each. is 90 commitments. Mm-hmm. It would be wonderful come 2020 if we achieve all, ni- all 90 commitments,
0: because then that means we would have made such significant progress. Mm-hmm. So, you have time now soon yeah and before you get to full time will you be sort of doing checkups and monitoring the process
2: yes so actually right now we are doing a big auditing in terms of you know so we did the report but we are actually doing an in depth auditing in terms of you know how many points are we away from each of these commitments and then my biggest focus next year is a big road show to all the impact champions ah. to do a big final push so that by 2020 hopefully we have something that we can all be proud of excellent yes.
0: So in terms of, in terms of uh, um, Sweden, um, do you feel that we are um, pulling our load or does the prime minister have to step up a bit?
2: I think they all have to. I'm not mm-hmm. going to single them
0: out. <laughs> I
2: think they all, they all have to. They mm-hmm. all have to step it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, like I said, Sweden was the inaugural champion. We launched with three uh, and, and you were one of the founding uh, partners of Impact. So no pressure, Sweden. We need you to succeed.
0: Mm. So we have your eyes on us. Absolutely. That's good. That's good. Absolutely. Uh, in terms of hurdles and obstacles and challenges, what do you see are the most major ones that we have to sort of be aware of and address in this work?
2: I think I'm going to talk beyond he for she I'm going to wear mm. my UN women hat right now and talk about some of the pressing issues that we are facing. The issue of violence is something that we still we haven't figured out mm-hmm. how to address, right? One in three women and girls are subject to violence in their lifetime. That's one billion women and girls walking around wounded. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Again, it's one of those issues that doesn't discriminate between the West and the developing world, right? Even a country like Sweden, a mm-hmm. country like Iceland, which has been leading on all the you know gender indexes, the issue is still there. So as UN Women, as the UN, we're really trying to figure out what can be done on this topic. Would like, again, to crowdsource some solutions from students, so if anyone has any ideas on what we can do, with our universities, the Impact 10 by 10 by 10 we do annual thons where we rally the students to come up with solutions on how to address sexual assault on college campus. So again, we, we need more support on this topic, and of course, the issue
0: of equal pay. That's a big one. Yeah, it's everywhere. We spoke briefly before uh, on um, paid parental leave. Yes. Mm. And of course, as a Swedish uh, mother, I'm I'm happy to have given birth in this country, that we do actually have parental leave. Used to be called mother's leave, but no more. Parental leave, thank God it's called. Uh, What is your take on how this will be possible to sort of inspire and and implement in other countries, and what impact could that have? Yes, we d- we definitely need that. So in the US, it's
2: called a disability leave, by the way. Disability, oh. So when a woman mm. is pregnant, she's disabled.
0: Mm. Oh, oh yes. lord,
2: that says a lot. It's, it's mm. called disability, mm. and there isn't any leave, in fact. You know, you have to, women have to ask a colleague to, to give them their sick leave, because mm. it's a disability, so it's sick. Um, in order for you to take some time off. So there's a lot of work that needs to to happen there. On the issue of uh, paid parental leave, it's also something that we're trying to leapfrog, right? Mm -hmm. It's another part of my work. I'm working with Anne Hathaway, who's another Goodwill Ambassador who I also manage. uh, And we're going to be doing quite a lot of work on this particular topic. Mm -hmm. Sweden is a partner on this because you are the leading country in the world in terms of your, your paid parental policy. But again, you know, lots of women are saying, well, we don't even have maternity leave in some places, but we are saying, well, maternity leave simply doesn't work. You know, it's not a full solution, right? Because it is still, even in the places where we have it, women don't take it. Mm. Because they don't want to be seen as an inconvenience. Mm. Uh, Because when they take that time off, it takes them off the career track. So, coalition between a woman taking time off and her ability to succeed into the C-suite is very challenging. She's also not being, you know, the equal pay becomes a, a point. So we are also trying to look at this, not only from a woman perspective, from a men perspective, because mm. also men want to spend time with their mm. kids, right? You so, do, don't you? Right? Yeah, yeah Men, do, you they do want to spend time mm-hmm. with your kids. Mm-hmm. So so we've got to create equality in, in both direction. And this is one of the biggest focuses of, let's make it equal. Let, mm-hmm. let you know give men the option to spend time with kids, but then that also means you know we, we are sharing that sort of uncared pay work, which is mostly done by women, so that women can come back into work much sooner. So mm-hmm. yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at, um, look into the future and think of, of uh, the planet being much more gender equal and hopefully completely gender equal, how could that impact, for instance, topics like climate change, poverty, Etc. It's everything.
2: You know. At the UN, we even talk about the sustainable development goals that they can never be achieved without the full inclusion of women and girls. And it's a pure mathematic thing, right? Women and girls are actually slightly more than half of the world's population right now. Gender equality is a cross-cutting issue, meaning that there's a gender dimension to every single SDG goal. So we, you know, we've got to address. These issues of gender equality in order for us to even begin to dream of of achieving uh, you know a, a peaceful world, even the issue of poverty or hunger, you know women are seventy percent of the farmers are women, but they don't own any of the land mm-hmm. you know they don't have access to to markets to sell those products. they are not part of the economy, even though they are producing for the economy so yeah it's uh, it's a no brainer it's mm. g- it's it's got to be addressed and it's
0: also connected to the uh, population growth correct? yeah, yeah p-
2: population mm. growth mm. right mm. so it's it's everything climate change mm. women are in in my my own village we are the ones fetching the firewood we are cutting down trees if we don't find a way to you know support women with clean stoves alternative uh, fuel then we are going to deplete the we're going to deplete the planet and everybody loses
0: Bring it back to your village. Yes. Mm. What's home. it like there now? Oh. How often can you visit and who's there in your family?
2: Everyone is there, yes. So I ended up studying political science after my long journey from Africa to London School of Economics. And my goal is to go back home. So I'm the only one who's left Zimbabwe. My village is still there, I go home. I try and make it at least two to three times a year and I go and head kettle, like I used to when I was little. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but the, the goal is really to go back because you know as an African, I have to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. We have our own challenges in Africa. We have had a continent of 54 countries, very little leadership in terms of women, and I'm a woman, I'm African, I've gotta be part of the solution. Mm-hmm.
0: So what do you see yourself doing in Zimbabwe when you go back?
2: Political leadership. Mm. President? Big- Why not? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Mm. <laughs>
0: Why not? Mm. <laughs> we will make a note of this. And <laughs> remember where, she, where and when she said it. <laughs> well, this is wonderful. Mm. Um, I'd like to end with a final note uh, about um, your learnings, what you've learned the most in this process from meeting this young woman in the blue uniform to becoming a leader of the world movement of gender equality. What, are, what is your biggest sort of humbling learning experience?
2: Let me give you an, a quick African quote. So there's a quote in Africa that says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try slipping with a mosquito. <laughs> right? So I think my biggest lesson is the fact that and, and this maybe speaks to what he for she for me it's about. You know, he for she is really about this it's about the story of all of us and the power of an individual to create change, right? If a once malnourished African girl can sit here in front of you, you know, as a senior advisor now with the UN, I mean imagine imagine the potential that you all have to create change. So it's this idea that sometimes you, you think, oh, I've got to be the CEO and I need to be the leader to make something. But I think if you, if you believe in something, no matter how crazy the idea is, because he or she is a crazy idea on so, on so many levels, you know, to think that you could end gender inequality, um,
0: I think just do it. I think you've, you've got to do it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank Please you. Please give, you, give her a warm hand again.
2: <laughs> thank you.
3: You're listening to Student Aftonpodden.
0: We will now continue with questions from the audience. The floor is for you to take uh, give questions now. We have uh, hand microphones, ready on one side here and one side over here, I'm sure. We'll be able to send them in, uh, even if it's a question in the middle of the room. So hands up, and I will direct this one, uh, person in a striped shirt. Um, please state your name and your question. You can stand up, please, once you get the microphone. Uh, my name is Martina. First of all, thank you so much for, uh, for being here tonight. It's really inspirational to hear you speak. Um, incredible thank speech, you. and... Uh, Everything you said tonight has just been, uh, what's it called, goose pimples all over my arm. Oh, thank um, you. Uh, I work here in, in Lund at a Swedish company where um, I work together with 14 men and me, uh, and I'm really lucky to be working with really modern, uh, forward thinking, um, feminist men. Uh, what could be something that I could do to? bring this movement forward even more so in the place of my work? Like, what, something concrete that I could do on my platform working with, with these 14 guys.
2: So I have a colleague of mine, Charlotte, who leads communications for he, For She. Stand up, Charlotte, please. Stand up, Charlotte. And Charlotte and is <coughs> Swedish, by the way. Yes. <laughs> so the reason why I want to introduce you, because I want to make sure that she sends you a video uh, on, on a story that answers your question. There is a young girl called Lupita from Indonesia. She's 24 years old. Lupita heard about HeForShe in Indonesia and decided that she was going to organize a talk within her company. She works for Danone, the French company, you know, Activia, et cetera. And she organized an event with three of her friends, young girls, and gave a talk about what HeForShe was about, showed Emma Watson's video, and then decided that she was going to sign up the men in Indonesia to become HeForShe. When every man had been signed on, including his CEO in Indonesia, she decided that she wasn't gonna stop there. And anyway, the long story short is that she ended up signing on almost every other territory of Danone until she got to the CEO's office uh, in, in Paris. So we were having our annual HeForShe event in 2016 and we asked for somebody to give us a story on what they had done. And then we invited Lupita because of her story to come to to the UN, and actually she did give a talk alongside Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of, of Canada. And through that, the CEO of Danone is now a he for she thematic champion on paid parental leave. Wow. All started with this one young girl called Lupita in Indonesia. So one of the things that you can do, I think, is to bring awareness of he for she within the company. We have a website where men can go and sign on. We can support you with communication materials. We can support you with dialing in as well to give some talks if if that's needed. But uh, we need your support. So so I hope we can do something with you.
0: Hi, I wanted to say thanks as well for uh, coming to talk to us. I tweeted earlier that I felt like a kid at Christmas waiting for you to come talk. <laughs> ah, thank you. <laughs> I'm just uh, wondering with, um, you know, especially at universities lately, it's been in our fight for equality and liberalism. It seems like a lot of uh, violence has come through that as well. And I'm wondering what, how do we stop that, our liberalism from becoming the extreme
2: and that vi- with violence as well? Would t- what kind of violence? Are we talking about sexual assault on campus or are we talking about something else?
0: No, I mean, um, for example, in campuses in the U.S. where uh, our fight for equality has led to um, a lack of um, freedom of speech, for example, going towards the other end, whereas you know, ideally we should always support freedom of speech regardless, um, even though we want to have equality.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I think... One quick way to answer this question is, again, goes back to the importance of male leadership. You know, without getting into politics, because I can't, I'm a UN diplomat, I'm Mm -hmm. not allowed to comment on national politics, but I think it speaks to this idea that one leader can either move us forward or move us backwards, and it's been quite unfortunate to see what's happening uh, in the US. uh, But not only the US, I was in the UK, and we have a similar thing. Mm this nationalism is causing you know, a lot of fragmentation. And one of the core, you know, really the core fee for she is, is a fundamental belief that what we share is more powerful than what divides us. And this is what we continue to spread that message, you know, that let's not focus on our differences, let's focus on the things that unite us, because there's quite a lot. Uh, and if we start there, I think we can, we can all move forward.
1: Thank you so much for being here. It's been really inspirational. I'm a um, human rights student among a lot of other people. And we've been studying history and philosophy amongst other things. And I wanted to ask you, studying history, I've been kind of frustrated. So I wanted to ask you, do you think we're really, is is the world getting better? Like, are we improving anything? Because right now I just feel frustrated, (laughs) you know? Well... She needs a pep <laughs> you're talk. Uh, yes.
2: yes. <laughs> you're, you're, you're asking either you can see as the wrong person or the right person. I'm like an internal optimist. I'm also an impatient mm-hmm. optimist. Mm-hmm. So, so, yes. I mean, things, things have been slow. F- things are not getting better on some levels, but we've got to th- focus on the things that are working well because otherwise it's depressing. We can't get out of bed and we need to get out of bed because if we give up, then nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, I mean, I think there has been, even within the gender equality space, right, if you look at all the uh, research and the indicators from the World Economic Forum, w- we've stagnated. I mean, a lot of the, we've just stalled. Nothing has happened. And so it's also why, you know, he or she exists, which is to say, what is the one thing maybe that we haven't tried? Can we at least give that a go? And for us, is how do we actually engage men to be, um, you know, to be part of a, uh, a solution? But uh, hang in there. And, and we, we need, you know, if one of us gives up, then that's like one less person making progress. So you've got to stay strong and just imagine that it's, it's possible. Right.
0: thank you Kay. and there're also some good numbers in terms of more s- women young women going to school correct Well, yes i mean mm.
2: yeah. so yeah so, so there's been some really positive things you mm. know we we have more women in the workplace than we ever had we have more girls in, in in education even in africa quality is a big issue but at least women you know girls are going to school uh, we can actually freely talk about i mean you can look at the issue of the sexual harassment from a negative but you can also look it from a positive which is we are starting to get to a place where we can say talk about these things openly. And we need that transparency to understand how big the issue is and then to be then able to find solutions collectively. So, so it's not all bleak. Um, I think we can always find sunshine somewhere. And this is my African optimism speaking here. Well, we, sh- we need it. We all need <laughs> the optimism.
4: Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for coming. It's been very inspirational hearing you talk. Uh, my question's more about gender equality. I come from Malaysia and I used to work with women's rights NGO there. And talking about gender equality in a heavily patriarchal community is very difficult, especially in rural villages. So my question is more, I guess, more in personal with your experience with Zimbabwe, like how would you go about trying to talk about gender equality with a patriarchal society and with men who are very stuck to their cultural rules and traditions that girls should get married at a certain age and these are the rules that they should do. Because, I mean, with the work that I did, we did try, it's very difficult. So I just wanted to find out your personal experience with that, thank you.
2: Okay, so two layers in terms of the answer to this. So the one thing, which is what we've done with he for she, is that we've got to actually engage the communities, right? So the story about Malawi, we have a video of it which again we can share link with the organizers for you to see. It wasn't UN women going in there and annulling the child marriages. We actually worked with the chiefs, the very same main chiefs that were part of marrying these young girls to be the ones that sort of own the solution, and that has been very positive. But from a UN standpoint, you know, we we get these questions a lot about, well, you know, there's a culture that needs to be respected. We firmly believe that a human right issue is a human right issue, right? A girl should never get married just because it's part of the culture. A girl in Zimbabwe should have the same opportunities as the girl living in Sweden. Uh, This is just a fundamental human right issue. But then how do we then start to change the culture is literally localizing that, that, um, that engagement. We also know that what's done for us without us is not for us. So it's really important for sustainability to ensure that the communities themselves own uh, and are part of building that solution. And UN Women were in 90 country offices. And so even with HeForShe, you know, I said the global strategy from New York, but at the end of the day, it's. It's the country offices on the ground who work with the communities and the governments to make sure that we are nuancing, we are messaging in a way that is acceptable to the communities, but
0: without compromising the human rights piece of it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So that means that it's basically tailor-making the solutions and the the way you address uh, the the topics in the different communities and the countries. Correct. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, more questions, please? There's a guy in the middle here. Still waiting for the first guy. We need need uh, more guys. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Well, I pointed to you, the lady in the middle first. So, let's hand her a microphone and then we're waiting for you. Here we go. I think it's coming that way from that side.
4: Okay. uh, Thank you so much for your speech. Uh, So, I was thinking about um, developing countries tend to see gender equality as something secondary to economic development. So first we'll handle our economy and develop as a country and then we will try Mm. to achieve gender equality. So how are you trying to work with developing countries to make equality a part of the process to achieve development?
2: Well, yeah, so it's exactly that argument that we we give to them which is you can't develop an economy without the full inclusion of women because then you have half half of the community you know, working towards something, and you know, we are losing, in fact, there's a study from McKinsey that says that um, if women were uh, all employed and had the same access in terms of the e- economic access to men, we would actually gain $12 trillion to the global GDP. Mm-hmm. So that's the argument that we make, right? Because it's not even just a matter of the economics, but it's also a matter of even the quality of the work which then equates to how much progress a, c- a country can make. We know that, you know, teams that are diverse tend to have better ideas and better outcomes and better results. Mm-hmm. So the inclusion of women is just critical. You know, it's, n- it's, not, it's not a nice to have, it's a must have if you want to succeed as, as a company. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. in the corner here, the side. Okay,
3: thank you. My name is uh, koli uh, Thank you very much for your inspirational speech. I will recommend all my friends to listen to the podcast mm-hmm. coming. Oh, uh, thank you. But I'm just wondering, what do you think is a good next step or a good next follow-up after 2020 if we hopefully reach a lot of the 90 commitments?
2: So we are doing a new intake, we started with 10 by 10 by 10 again it could have been really 60 by 60 by 60 because once we launched the impact 10 by 10 by 10 initiative in Davos with the Prime Minister of Sweden we saw quite a lot of interest we had 60 companies that wanted the 10 positions and it came down to the quality of the commitments that they were willing to give and again some of them fell through when we started talking about you know we need transparency you know across we need all your data to be to be released but the goal now is 2020 first cohort ends and we're going to do a second intake uh, as well because the goal is to keep going until until we achieve equality
0: Mm -hmm. thank you when you say that i'm curious uh, do you have a year in mind when we'll be when we'll be reaching this magic goal
2: so the HeForShe is aligned within the broader Mm. work of not only UN Women, but the UN, right? Mm. So SDG goes until 2030, 2030. so that's our timeline. Excellent. And in fact, uh, maybe that's sort of a good good moment to also highlight and create the link between the SDGs and Mm. HeForShe. HeForShe was started as part of UN Women, which is the UN entity on gender equality, but we have been working over the past year in terms of looking at what is the role for men in every single mandate of the UN? So when we look at the work of UNESCO around girl education, as I mentioned to you before, we are looking at how do we create more Malala Fathers? Mm-hmm. When we're looking at the mandate of the world, um, the UNFPA, which is our population entity on reproductive health, we are looking again at how do we make sure that we create more men, uh, he for she supporters? because in most communities, including my own, a woman has no rights to her body. It's the man who decides whether she should be in reproductive health, um, se- um, she- contraceptive. He decides how many kids you know, she should have. So we need men to be part of, again, population, controlling population. We need men to be part of uh, the solution. So we're literally looking across the UN and each of the entities to look at the role of men, um, and so that's the SDG. Mm. So 2030 is our timeline as well. Elizabeth is looking at my brooch. Yes, sorry, yes,
0: she it's has the, a brooch. It's the SDG, the, the Global Goals brooch. Yes. Um, designed by a Swede. Yes, designed by a Swede, yes. exactly. <laughs> um, you told me a story that I'd just like for you to share with the audience about the, uh, the wedding vows before. Oh yes. Not yours, but uh, somebody <laughs> else's.
2: <laughs> yes. So uh, again, back to this uh, idea of he for she when we started, after there was this uptake, I was getting a lot of pushback internally and externally saying, well, you should tell men what to do. What are they doing? I said, well, they will figure out what to do. No, you've got to tell them what to do. And I said, no, we're not going to tell them what to do. And And again, I'm glad that we didn't do that because some of the creativity we've seen come from men themselves has been quite inspiring. So there's a man who started a husband school, like I mentioned to you right before, and if someone had said to me, Elizabeth, can you give me one billion actions that a man can do to support gender equality, I would have never thought of a husband school. Mm-hmm. So similarly, there's now this whole trend of he for she weddings where where couples are organizing from, from Africa to Asia to Europe, they organize this, their wedding and, and call them the he-for-she themed uh, weddings. So from the color, That's which is- romantic. Yeah, so, so, so they use like the cake from the color and the decor, but the really important thing is that as part of the vows, in addition to the traditional vows, the man then makes his own he-for-she commitment to his wife, like how is he going to be a better man Um, a better father, a better partner, you know, as a he for she versus just simply a spouse that you're getting married to. So it's been quite exciting to see. And we get wonderful images, and Charlotte is always posting them on
0: social media. That's a great story. Yes. Wonderful story.
1: Hi. Hi. First off, I want to say, my name is Linnea, and I want to say thank you for being here and starting this amazing movement. My question is regarding another amazing movement that you mentioned before, Me Too. Mm -hmm. Um, We've obviously learned a lot of very important lessons from that movement. One of them being that some men that uh, advocate for gender equality um, call themselves feminists actually behind closed doors show the complete opposite. By saying sexist things or um, committing crimes such as rape or sexual assault and so on. So, I wanna kind of hear your take on this and what we as a society can do to make sure that men's actions reflect their words, basically.
0: Can, Thank you. Can
2: I be cheeky, actually? This is a very important question. Can I be cheeky and ask a guy to comment on this? Oh, great. How can Yes, how can guys do more to support gender equality? There's a guy. Thank you so much for uh, taking this up.
3: Hi, um, thank you for the applause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm worth it, uh, but uh, I will just bring up one thing. Um, this, this, I think it was this weekend, I had a long talk with a uh, friend who was actually a bit of annoying uh, to a girl, uh, friend of mine who is a girl. Uh, and uh, I, I stood there and talked to him, like initiating a convers- conversation like he was a friend of mine. I was just getting to know him. And uh, I brought his attention to me instead of the girl. And uh, then I just brought it up to his attention that he was a feminist. He, he said to me that he was a feminist. And uh, <laughs> the thing is, when I told him this, I, I like uh, put it in nice words to him. You are annoying, my friend. And uh, I think you should uh, maybe lay off her. Um, but I put it in a way like where he, he actually, he was inspired in, <laughs> in some weird way because I was actually offending him a bit, which he, he realized later. Um, hmm. Because when, when we ended the talk, like 15 minutes later, it was, uh, I could see in his face, it was like running him off. It was like realizing something. Hmm. And he actually uh, said he was sorry to the girl in question right. later. Nice. Um, yeah. So, so that's just one thing. I didn't actually think about it when I did it, but uh, we actually talked about this whole issue just when this guy was initiating his uh, annoying talk <laughs> with this okay. girl. Uh, so it came naturally, and I just uh, I realized, oh, I destroyed his uh, his evening. But still, I think he may have gotten a uh, sort of. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, Epiphany. Epiphany, I don't know. Maybe it's too much to think of it in that way, but Mm. uh, yeah, he told this girl he was sorry, so that was something. (laughs) Yeah, well,
2: thank thank you. you. Well, 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 thank you. In fact, I wasn't wasn't avoiding your question. The reason why I wanted a guy to say this is because I've learned more and more as I've been doing this work, and it's sad, but it, it is the reality that sometimes guys respect other guys more. And I was speaking to a young woman as well, and she was telling me that she works in a team of all guys, and you know they are always in the U.S. There's a terminology called men'splaining something mm-hmm. when a man is trying to. use oh yeah, it here too. Oh yeah, men'splaining something too. And she wanted to know how how she could address that. And there was a guy who chimed and said, you know. When, because when she, say, when she does it, sh- she's called emotional or you're being you know demanding or bossy, but when another guy says it, it's much easier. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we have to, it's one of the things we have to find a way to work with guys. And, of course, guys, please be active bystanders, right? If you mm-hmm. see something wrong, say it. Um, you know that you're and this guy says, said you know I just seem to say hey dude what are you, what are you doing and then he just stops right mm-hmm. if a woman says it then he gets really defensive and aggressive so mm-hmm. so, so they got gonna work together
0: mm-hmm. and basically what you did that was uh, educational yes it's wonderful yeah and not in an aggressive way because that might be getting a backlash right away yeah
4: I'm Yiru, uh, thank you for the great talk. So as you mentioned, uh, one of the goal of uh, gender equality is to have more women in the senior position on the board. So do you have any suggestion for a woman, like how do we, should we think differently or act differently or plan differently uh, to be prepared for this future?
2: Thank you. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna give you a radical answer, right? So the traditional stuff I would say to you please have more confidence. Or Cheryl Sandbeck says, please lean in more. We know too that, you know, this is actually scientific that, y- you know, if there's a job description and it's looking for 12 things, a woman would look at that and go, ooh, I can do all these 11, but uh, I don't have the 12th one. I'm not going to apply. Mm-hmm. Right? And men would look and go, I've won, but that's fine. I'll apply for it. Right? Mm-hmm. But, but 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 you know, I can give you this sort of traditional thing, but I actually think we have to stop fixing women. There's nothing wrong with women. We've got to fix the systems, mm-hmm. you know? So <laughs> so <laughs> we, we can't, you know, what, what, what do you lean into if the, if the system is not there to support a woman? You know, what do you have confidence for if the system doesn't recognize your talent? So, you know, I think it's gonna take both um, and we, me, us being more assertive, but at the end of the day, Stop fixing women, fix the system and the structures. Mm.
0: Thank you. (laughs) We love that question, that (laughs) answer.
3: (laughs) All right, so thank you very much for coming. Uh, My name is Jonas and uh, uh, I'd just like to ask you one thing. Uh, During your speech here, you mentioned gender parity in the workforce. Uh, and i'd like to ask you
1: about your end goal with gender equality is it equality of opportunity or equality of outcome
2: it's both and i mean there's a very uh, specific uh, answer to this imf has defined in terms of opportunities has defined parity to mean 40 to 60 percent so that's what we are looking for so again another big misconception is that when we're talking about gender equality you know, we wanna overthrow men, and that's not the point. The point is, let's get to parity, let's have equal teams and create equal opportunities for all genders to participate fully uh, within the workplace, and of course, in society as well.
0: There's one up, up on the balcony. It was. Oh. There's Tar- <laughs> <here's> Tarzan. <laughs> Here we wow. go. <laughs> wow, That was a Tarzan move, yeah. No, no, now you have to take it. N- n- <laughs> now you have to take the mic. <laughs> there's, no, there's no turning back now. Question, please. No? Are you sure? All right. There's one all the way up in front. And there's one over here. Let's take uh, this side first. Here, go ahead, we have time.
3: Hello, thank you for your speech. My name is Gustav. I have a different question. I'm sorry for uh, um, diverging a little bit from the subject, but as a Zimbabwean and as a person employed by the UN, I'm wondering what you think about the decision of uh, the World Health Organization to appoint President Mugabe as a goodwill ambassador.
0: Mm. (laughs) Do do you want me to still go back home? You have to use diplomatic language here. I'm sure you can do that. (laughs) Um, So this is above
2: my pay grade because Zimbabwe is a UN member state, Mm. and there are processes that are beyond my control. But um, you know, I think speaking among friends, it's maybe you know, it's it's a tough decision to Mm. accept.
0: There has been Personally. severe uh, resistance and, and uh, comments on this this nomination, yeah. of course.
2: E- except, except it's equally polarized. There's mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. very big supporters on the, on the other mm-hmm. end, right? Um, and I've you know I, my family lives there, and mm-hmm. I cannot comment anything. No, of course, of course. Yeah. Well, thank you.
1: just wondering you were talking a lot about the big companies and organizations signing up for the he-for-she movement and equality what does the equality within the UN look like? <laughs> <employment-wise>?
2: <laughs> oh. I like that it was only a matter of time before somebody asked me this question. It's not good <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not good and in fact the UN itself so we have a new secretary general and for the first time, we're seventy-year-old organization. For the first time during this last election, we had eight women run for office, mm. as officers, secretary general uh, position, and people were very positive that things were about to change. Mm. You know, it's seventy years. There was never a UN, no. No. And and that didn't happen, but we are pleased though that the man who has chosen for the job, you know, is the best man you could find for the job. He has also outlined his his own gender strategy uh, with the 2026 um, endpoint in reaching parity across the UN. So we're optimistic. Uh, We obviously wish that it's 2020, like we're asking other companies to do, uh, but it's something that we're advocating for. And of course, UN Women, we are not only the global entity for gender, but we also coordinate gender across the entire UN system. So my boss is heavily involved. He formed a committee of 12 UN entity heads, and she sits on that as an advisor to him in terms of how uh, the UN can move on gender equality. So, you know, fingers crossed.
0: He's a he for she. He's
2: very he for she. Secretary General. He's very he for for she, yes. And so was the former one, actually. Mm. The former one was the first he for she man to sign up. Mm. So he was number one, Mm. and then he created this whole big movement. And the deputy Secretary
0: General, Secretary. uh, It's a woman. Jon Elian, so the former one, the Swedish one was quite involved too. Yes,
2: yes, absolutely, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
1: So in Sweden, we like to pride ourselves on being so great at gender equality. Yeah, you've said it here too, that we uh, are at the forefront of um, paterni- paternity and mater- maternity leave, for example. But looking around the room, we have a wide majority of women sitting here today, listening to you speak about he for she. Mm-hmm. So it's quite ironic. So basically, the next time you come here to speak, we hope to see you here again soon. Um, what can we do in that time, yeah. until then? Uh, to make sure that we have so many more men um, promoting this issue here in Sweden.
2: So I don't know if you have these restaurants here in Sweden where you bring your own bottle of wine. <laughs> do, do, you know, do, do you have those restaurants? Bring your own booze. No? Y- yeah, <laughs> so in, in the UK, like in the Indian um, restaurants, you can bring your own bottle of not wine? Not in Sweden. Okay, not s- <laughs> No way. <laughs> You're much more classier, Um, (laughs) but but see, no. But this is actually a very important uh, Mm. comment. We are now saying, please bring your own man. You know, Mm. if you're gonna come to here for Mm. shivat, I did. (laughs) 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 Bring your own man. It could be a friend, it could be a colleague, it could be someone classmate. But just bring your own man because we can't continue to fight this you know i was telling katarina as well that my boss has a favorite saying and she says that um a woman can break the glass ceiling you know we can do that that's not a question whether we can but she also likes to say that a man can simply remove it so that i don't have to cut my hands trying to break the glass ceiling Mm -hmm. so we've got to you know think about that and we can't have an event called he for she and have still women you know, part of the, the reason why he for she exists is that we share the burden mm-hmm. of getting this thing done. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so please bring your own man next time. We will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's take one final question.
4: Hello. (laughs) Okay. Thanks a lot for the nice uh, speech and this whole um, discussion. Um, I want to bring it back to the discussion we had earlier with the guy that had a great story about how he at a party told his other uh, or another guy what not to do to his girlfriend. And uh, I just feel like it's a complex issue because um, even though it's great that we have male allies and... uh, that are supporting us, like the women's fighting for their equality, Um, I feel like if only men are the ones that can tell other men to stop um, what they're doing, then how will we ever get women to that position where they can do it themselves and where they can earn that respect? So like in that situation, the, the ideal case would be a case where the girl could say herself, don't do this to me respect my uh, body, my choices, whatever, and that she would need to have another guy next to her telling the other guy that. Mm. So what is your take on how to make it, or like how to make the girls be able to do that themselves and to make men listen to the women?
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what you say is really important. And Thank you. yes. And it's also situational, right? So I gave a specific example of a woman who's outnumbered, right? She's the only girl in a group of 14. And she has been telling the men not to do it, and they've just not respected her until a colleague, male colleague said just back off dude and then, and then it happened. But certainly you know, the idea is not for men to speak on behalf of women. In fact, we are trying to say that women have their own voice and should use their own voice. Uh, but there are some situations where if you're outnumbered, um, and again, it's not a matter of a man speaking on behalf, but it's a man just calling each other out, right? He for she is not about men coming to save women. Women don't need to be saved. But it's about recognizing the male privileges, right? So, just by default, men are born with privilege. They, they have more power. And if we are going to actually achieve equality, it just takes that moment of a man realizing that he has a privilege and that he can actually do more uh, to support. So, so it's, that's the kind of balance we're trying to create, which is sometimes, you know, it, it is never, by the way, it is never the people that have more. That identify issues civil rights if, if you look at any big movement it 's usually the minorities or people that have a lesser you know power at that moment in time that end up starting you know wanting things to change, and so we are simply saying in order for us to also be proactive and, and move faster let 's address the male privilege. Let men just simply connect with that because sometimes men don 't know they, they are not aware that mm-hmm. Oh, I could have said something that could have stopped something. So, but, but it it is a balance and it's situational. Mm.
0: Thank you very much. I think this was, will finish and end the the Q and A.
1: First of all, thank you so much, Katharina and Elizabeth for such an interesting conversation. And thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing your work with the He 4 She campaign and your personal story. I'm very fascinated by you as a child, that your first thought when you encountered with the UN for the first time was that you wanted to work for the UN one day to uplift others in the way you have been uplifted. And I find that mindset very unique and so inspiring. And it takes some madness to change the world, you said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for being a little bit mad.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. Thank
0: you.
2: Thank you. This was so lovely. I've been talking for four days.
3: You've been listening to Studentafton Podden,
0: a collaboration between Studentafton and Radio AF. All previous episodes are available on
4: studentafton.se and in your podcast app.
1: Final yes. question. Yes, uh, Chris. This a very said. traditional question, actually. Okay. Um, since 1905, more or less. Uh, <laughs> this is the thing. At the end of every student afternoon we ask our guests who their dream guest is. So, Elizabeth and Katarina, who are your dream guests? You start, Elizabeth. I didn't think of this one. This question, I forgot. I'm gonna
2: g- can I be slightly biased? I think my boss. Uh, no, because because she's just phenomenal. This this woman, this freedom fighter, would be absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. So Pumzilembonggoka would be my choice. Mm-hmm.
1: We would love to have her here. Okay.
0: Well, we um, to, yeah. it definitely needs to be. W- I wanted to be a woman because looking at the uh, the yes. footage in the beginning here, Elizabeth said to me, lots of men, so <laughs> <laughs> not, not so not so uh, gender gender uh, equal uh, mm-hmm. in terms of. Uh, since what's been going on since 1905. Um, I would be interesting, uh, for me, it would be interesting to, uh, to interview Angela Merkel. Yes. So I'll definitely be back if she comes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you so much for sharing. And thank you so much, the audience, each one of you, for being here tonight. And the next Student Afton will take place the 8th of November, so save that date.